Welcome, listeners, to Out of the Box with your host, Jonathan Russo. Our very special guest today is John Tamney, Vice President at Freedom Works and Director of its Center for Economic Freedom. He's also editor of Real Clear Markets. He frequently writes about securities markets along with the tax, trade, and monetary issues that impact those markets. He writes for the Wall Street Journal, Investors Business Daily, Financial Times, National Review, and London's Daily Telegraph. Tamney is the author of five books. His latest is When Politicians Panicked, The New Coronavirus, Expert Opinion, and The Tragic Lapse of Reason. That book was released on March 30th. As an aside, listeners, I reviewed that book for Worth.com. So if you want to read it, go to Worth.com, Jonathan Russo, John Tamney. John is going to give us his perspective on current events. We're going to call this and hopefully subsequent episodes Through the Libertarian Lens, a spinoff on what you listeners may recall was our previous series Through the Marxist Lens with Professor Clyde Barrow. This is the other side of that argument. I know John as editor of Real Clear Markets. I love the site. I read it almost every day. It's full of smart articles, not all of which I agree with, but they're very smart nonetheless. I write about China, economics, the business of innovation and the business of luxury travel. And John has graciously reprinted several of my articles that have appeared in Worth.com and the New York Observer. That's how I got to know him. And over time, my respect for him and his writings on an almost daily basis has only grown. So we're really thrilled to have John here today to talk about libertarian economics and what it's all about. John, give us a very brief overview of the libertarian philosophy and the libertarian movement. To me, probably the best place to begin is to say that libertarianism is about choice as opposed to outcome, freedom to choose what you most like as an individual, what you most want to do as an individual. Uh, and as long as you're not harming others in the process, uh, you're right to do that. Uh, some people say, well, libertarian economics is lower taxes, less regulation, freer trade, and a stable dollar. Well, in many ways, it's all four of those things. But I want to be clear that as a libertarian, I would be for all four of those things, even if you could prove to me that the outcome of them would be slower economic growth, because I just think freedom on its own is a virtue. Forget about outcome, freedom should be the goal. If people are free, you're gonna get all the growth and prosperity you could ever want, and just leave it at that. Okay, we all know, for instance, for communism and socialism, uh, the uh, founding fathers are Karl Marx and uh, Frederick Engels, uh, certainly Lenin, uh, and then uh, about a couple hundred other uh, serious writers uh, over the last you know, century uh, have been writing about communism and socialism. Who are the intellectual founders and uh, what's the intellectual foundation of the libertarian movement? And who are those people? What do they think? Well, it's a, it's a very good question. Certainly on the Mount Rushmore of mm -hmm. libertarian thinkers, you would find people like Ludwig von Mises. You'd find Friedrich Hayek, uh, Murray Rothbard comes up a lot. Uh, modernly, even though he wasn't really a libertarian, many would put Milton Friedman up there, although there, again, there'd be a lot of debate among libertarians about that. Uh, there'd be a lot of debate about having Ron Paul on that Mount Rushmore. And so there's not, 
libertarians like scientists are constantly arguing. But to me, if you want to look for the modern father of it, really in many ways the inventor of the movement, it would be Cato Institute co-founder Ed Crane. Ed grew up theoretically Republican, but never saw a commonality with either Republicans or Democrats. He liked the idea of limited taxation and all those things, but he also thought people should be free to live their lives however they wanted, uh, whether it's gay marriage, however you want to be married. He didn't think the state should be involved in marriage. And then Ed had and has he has, he has a very strong view in favor of drug legalization. People should be right. free to choose in life as so long as they're not harming others. And then there's the obvious one. Ed, in many ways, along with Charles Koch, the co-founder of the Cato Institute, was the, the original non-interventionist. Uh, libertarians were pro-freedom pro and economic growth, but were very against all these uh, – uh, all the adventurism around the world, and and yeah. that's and that that kept them and that kept the movement in many ways from growing because so many people said, well, I could support libertarianism, but we want a bigger military, or we want a bigger global presence. And libertarians have have never have always run away from that. Right. Okay. Did we ever have libertarianism in the 19th century in the Industrial Revolution? Let's take an example of quote freedom. We had the freedom to have child labor, to say in, in Liverpool in the 19th century. We had the freedom to employ people for 75-hour work weeks in Carnegie's uh, steel mills in, in Pennsylvania. We had the freedom not to have workers' compensation if you lost an arm or a leg. Uh, you kind of, your family probably starved to death if you were an industrial worker. So there was a lot of economic what we would perceive as freedom without regulation. And that didn't seem to work for a society. And we started regulating all sorts of hours and child labor, working hours of uh, medical conditions, uh, things like that. So take us through how you feel about that as a definition of freedom and how that did or didn't work, or is that not accurate description of libertarianism? Well, it's a great question. Uh, did we ever have it? I think it's a safe argument that you could say the founders were certainly libertarians. Uh, they had come from a part of the world, Europe, where wars were frequent, and they were clear, we are thousands of miles away, we will avoid the wars that, that have wrecked the continent so regularly, and people will be free to choose one of the 13 states and choose their political bliss, how much or how little government they want. Okay, so we had it. You're looking more industrially. My response to you on that is certainly as the economy has grown, regulations have grown with it to protect the worker. Uh, libertarians aren't anti-worker. We just don't think that you need the government to force those protections. Uh, just because I don't think the government should have rules saying that if one of my employees loses an arm that I must do A, B, and C doesn't mean that, mean that I'm not going to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh, libertarians love their workers. Libertarians recognize that the, the worst thing that you could ever do is have a, one of your employees come to you for a raise or come to you asking for better insurance. Libertarians are of the view that that's just something you would do on your own because you're acting in a self-interested manner because you want the best people around you. 
And so we want all these good things, all these uh, compassionate things that politicians say they want to give us. The difference is we want to come through this voluntarily. Uh, and we think that through that, through individuals, through businesses looking for ways to treat their workers better, the outcome will be much better than decrees from government. But what happens if the balance of power is so in favor of the employer as it was in the Carnegie Rockefeller era? There just really isn't that freedom to go to your employer and ask for a raise because he doesn't need you. Um, what happens if the, if that power is so great that you, the the worker or the or the individual doesn't have any real freedom, doesn't have any choice at all? He's denied that choice. How does that get balanced out? A uh, very good question. I would say to you, in a free economy, what you're describing is not real. And just to give you an example, Henry Ford was a major industrialist yes. around the time in which you're describing. Yes. And there's this urban myth that persists to this day that Ford paid his workers $5 an hour because he wanted them to buy his cars, which is just absurd. The idea <laughs> to build a business based on your employers buying from you. Henry Ford did that because turnover at Ford Motor Company was 370% the previous year. It became too expensive for him to not overpay his workers because when you have people quitting, you can't grow. When you can't keep the retain your best people, you can't grow. And so uh, th this the only scenario in which employers have all the power is an unfree economy scenario and libertarianism is the exact opposite of that. Right. So what's interesting is that the workers in the case of industrial revolution obtain their quote freedom, if, as I understand it, through government in that they forced union recognition, uh, they forced politicians to enact child labor laws, uh, working hour laws, and a whole series of regulations that we're living with today through the government, through freedom and choice. They, they use the, the instruments of democracy, if you will, um, to counterbalance the forces of power on the other side. So in a sense, isn't government like by nature a libertarian a construct because it is the people speaking. It isn't the, the czar or a dictator saying, oh, now you have to do this. Now you have to do that. You know, we speak through legislation and regulation here. So explain like why the government isn't really always a force of libertarianism. Well, by definition, it's not a force because government's got guns. <laughs> government can force outcomes. Uh, you know, there's this myth that democracy is some great thing. No, the founders were terrified by democracy. Democracy you want because so that you can get vote out dangerous people who are in office. But ultimately, democracy is mob rule. Let's never forget that the U.S. was founded not as a democracy. No, people don't know that. Uh, go it was ahead. Founded as a constitutional republic, as in that the, there would be a national government, but its power would be very limited, would be, be very constrained by the document that was and is the Constitution. And the idea was that uh, the, the powers of the federal government would be few and defined so that you could choose your bliss in the cities and states you chose to live in. Uh, the federal government would do very little, and most legislation would occur locally. And so is government a libertarian concept? I mean, sure, you could make in some broad argument that, yeah, it's the will of the people to some degree, but 
No, uh, because sometimes the will of the people is not what the individual wants. Libertarianism is about individual freedom and choice. And so it's not government. It's about government protecting your right to live your life as you want to live it. And so there's nothing libertarian about having a government. Now, there can be libertarian governments. And I would say, again, that the founders were, were clearly libertarians. But nothing. there's nothing like that today. That doesn't mean that Americans aren't broadly free. I think we're still a very free country. Yes. That's why we're a magnet for the world's strivers to this day, and it's a beautiful thing. But yes. uh, we're certainly not it, – it's not libertarian we're living probably. No, no, it's not. But my, my question or argument is no, it's not. I, I, it seems like the populace doesn't want that. That's why I'm, where I'm being provocative in this case. Let me give you <laughs> sort of an example of where, where I'm thinking. My grandfather lived through the Great Depression. Um, he was a saver. He was a homeowner. He, he was an immigrant. Uh, he put away all his money in a savings bank to, to buy a home and then take out a mortgage from that bank. And um, one day he went to that bank in, in Brooklyn, New York, and it had closed. And he lost all of the savings that he had in that bank. And then uh, they they were gonna they started to foreclose on his house, so I understand it. So, out of that, obviously, that experience, which was common in the Great Depression, as you know, thousands of banks failed, and we had a quote banking holiday to try to you know stop the, the run on the banks, et cetera. We came up with the uh, I believe it's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation that said if you put money in a in a recognized savings bank, you're going to get it back, and the government's going to backstop it. Now, where is the libertarian argument? How would that fall out? I, I just need to hear it from you to understand it. Um, should there not be an FDIC? Should my grandfather have chosen a better bank or been smart enough to pull his money out the day before the bank closed? Or isn't it libertarian to say that he went to the poll and voted in a Democratic or a politician that said, no, we need to have some banking regulation? Help me here. Uh, good, good question. Once again, uh, ask yourself the question now, what if, the, what if they abolished the FDIC today? Uh, would we suddenly be in big trouble and having a run on banks? My guess is no. My guess is that very quickly we'd all be receiving calls from insurance companies uh, <laughs> offering to insure our deposits. Mm -hmm. And, okay, I bank at Citi. Now, this is important because Citi has been bailed out five times in the last <laughs> 30 years or so. And so my guess is it would cost me more to bank at Citi in insurance on my account than, say, it would, would cost to, I don't know, bank at J.P. Morgan. Mm -hmm. or chase just to, just as an example mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you'd have market forces at work um it's going to cost you more now think about what this means also is it lead to a healthier banking system mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. uh, mr tamney it's going to cost you a lot more per month to bank at city uh if, if you want lower insurances you move it to chase just as an example and so this would force better oversight among banks. Again, libertarians aren't, libertarians are horrified by bank closures and people losing all their savings. That's tragic. That's mean. It's uh, Hearing that story saddens me endlessly to think that your, your father, the ultimate, your grandfather, the ultimate benefactor, savers drive economic progress, was had what was his taken from him, sickens me. 
But that doesn't mean you need a government response. I'd much more trust uh, an insurance company to insure those deposits than I would the federal government. Because again, you don't know. What if there were mass bank failures? Does anyone really think that everyone's going to be made whole? Maybe not. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting because one, on one hand, everybody seems to quote want this regulation. Um, you know, we consistently vote in politicians that continue the FDIC. But on the other hand, when the banks were bailed out and the brokerages were bailed out and AIG was bailed out, people were crazed. They were outraged. They were like, these people should fail. You know, these people should should lose all of their money. Instead, they're richer than they ever were, and they have more assets than they ever had. So it, it, you're right in the sense that the market solutions haven't worked per se, but at the same time, the government regulations aren't really working because they're just encouraging bad behavior. And that's why we're always having the bailouts. Yeah, well, I would just say, when, when have we have ever had full markets in, in the banking system? And so I, let's try it sometime. I, I don't think we should damn the markets while saying, yeah, that politicians acted badly in bailing out investment banks. I love investment banks. I and know. precisely because I love them, because mm -hmm. I think they truly do God's work, in, to quote uh, the former head of Goldman Sachs, right. um, I don't want them bailed out. Because if you look at industries that are propped up, they be, they're they not what they once were. It's, it's the failure that drives progress, that drives advance in any industry. You don't, you don't elevate an industry by bailing out its losers. I totally agree with that. that that's that's for sure. Um, it's just funny that they, they seem to have such a stranglehold on us, the, the large financial institutions, that they are too big to fail and they can't go down. For the sake of one more micro example, um, I'd love to tell you a story and then hear your response to it. Uh, uh, it's sort of a libertarian tale that fascinates me. I have a home on a small island off the East Coast. And um, like many places in a resort area, we've had a huge fight with Airbnb. People were buying houses here and uh, turning them into Airbnb rentals. Other people were leaving for the summer and turning their home into an Airbnb rental. And so um, in response to that, because there was a lot more traffic and a lot of noise, uh, there were parties, uh, it, it, it changed the nature of residences. So all of a sudden, these residential areas were becoming, in a sense, you know, party neighborhoods. So there was a big backlash to that here. And we, we wanted to have regulation about the Airbnb issue. The people who were involved in Airbnb didn't want to do that. They, they, they took this very interesting stance of, this is my house. I'll do with it what I want. I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my home. Um, but we already have hundreds of regulations here. You know, we have height regulations, we have size regulations, we have regulations about sewers, we have thousands of regulations. I mean, you know, like everywhere, we have seatbelt regulations. They went to this extreme place. They, they didn't want to negotiate terms. They just took the position there should be no regulation. And that wasn't acceptable to the vast majority of the islanders. So we enacted regulation and Airbnb had to conform to that. How would a libertarian look at that? Whose side would a true libertarian take in that Airbnb struggle? I think what you'd find is there would be two or three or more sides to it. Again, there's not broad agreement on this. There's the obvious argument that you allude to that, hey, wait a second, this is my property. I'll do with it what, what I want. But let's never forget libertarianism is about freedom of choice so long as your actions don't harm others. And uh -huh. what you're describing is something that would harm others. And this is why I like local legislators and why I want it over federal. 
maybe locally people would say we just can't have this i will much more accept local tyranny where we say hey look (laughs) if you want to have a house here you have to abide certain rules that's where it should happen because if jonathan russo doesn't like it when he runs into a legislator that he knows he can express it it's not some distant government making a choice for you or making a choice that you don't like Uh, many libertarians are against public schools i'm actually for public schools let me explain if some neighborhood says we want to have a public school too and we're going to assess a fee on those living in this area to pay for it we'll do it that's where that's where government should be if we're going to have lots of government let's have it locally and so i am it may surprise you that i'm much less libertarian when it's local if people want to make choices if, if there's a city council or a town council where things where disputes can be gone over that's where it should be and you're not always going to get your way um well john one small aside nothing you would say really actually surprises me because i've heard you say the most unique and innovative and uh, unexpected things about a wide variety of topics listening to you over the years now so i'm not really surprised that anything you would say is is, is uh, surprising a funny corollary to the end of this story was uh, the local story was that there's a zone in naturally like all places we have on this island zoning you know abc zones and c zone means business well, interestingly, somebody wanted to put in a gas storage deposit thing because he runs a gas company here, you know, liquid natural gas propane. And um, he wanted to use the two or three acre property that he had in a C-zone residential neighborhood. And the surrounding neighbors you know, went crazy. They, they All of a sudden, the libertarian argument that, you know, this is my property, I'll do what I want, was no longer valid. That was all about my kids are going to get blown up, my house is going to get blown up, my kids are going to get run over by the gas trucks. It, it, it amused me to no end just to see how um, when it's your neighborhood that uh, somebody wants to do something and you're no longer a libertarian, you're now all of a sudden a regulator. That's all. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So clearly this puts you and the libertarian movement in uh, opposition to what we're seeing on a national level now, which is um, our previous guest uh, called in Texas, Christo-fascism. That's what Professor Clyde Barrow decided Greg Abbott was up to, that uh, it was like uh, okay to be a libertarian unless it was uh, Houston wanted to have a mass mandate, unless uh, Dallas wanted to have uh, some you know legislation regarding uh, gay rights or whatever. Um, what unless business decided they were going to mandate a COVID test, then all of a sudden Greg Abbott and uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida. Are start micromanaging every single thing. They're micromanaging the cruise ships. They're micromanaging the local school boards. They're micromanaging well and legislating, you know, a wide variety of minutiae, basically to the degree that they want to see it. So they've thrown out the idea of quote local control or local anything. How do you feel about that? I don't like it. And and you and I both know yep. you and I are anti-mask. You and I have been horrified by all these rules imposed on individuals and businesses. But I'm equally horrified when someone says, businesses, you have to do what I say. Yeah. Most businesses, let's never, and and you know all this, but it's important to stress, well before the lockdowns began, hand sanitizer and masks were sold out in Germany. 
as the New York Times has pointed out, in the red states, you know, the science-denying states, the lockdown last, those were also the states where individual, in, individual people started making adjustments soonest, started wearing masks, stopped going out to restaurants as much. They didn't need a law. Let's go locally to New York. Uh, uh, Danny Meyer chose to ban smoking in his restaurants 13 years before Mayor Bloomberg had decreed no smoking. And my point here is I don't want government telling people what to do. One way or the other. The, right. the states shouldn't have locked it down. That was a disastrous mistake that achieved much less than nothing. But at the same time, if some businesses, hey, we yeah. we want our employees vaccinated, or we want you to wear masks all the time, then that's the that that, that is their property. Do it. Well, we we do agree on most of these issues very strongly. And uh, as a complete aside, I'm just sitting here amused as could be that we're in a state of shock at the shortages and the supply chain disruptions, and nobody can buy anything. A friend of mine can't get a refrigerator for nine months, can't buy a car for six months. As if people didn't understand if you shut down a modern economy and you put it to a complete end, that you'd think you're going to restart it in an hour and a half the same way that, I mean, really? I mean, what is it, what was anybody thinking that that was going to happen? So I'm just completely amused at, at the shock in the uh, the words of Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca that uh, the economy is re restarting, you know, restarting perfectly. And of course, it's not going to restart perfectly. I mean, it's like killing somebody and then expecting to run a marathon, you know? After you revive him. You know. That's a great way of putting it. It's like, really? Okay. That's a complete aside, listeners. I'm sorry for that tangent. What are the three or four major things that the libertarians would like to see taking place in our body politic right now? If, if you could wave a magic wand and do, you know, three, four things, John, in a priority basis, what was the what, what was the, be the first and the second and the third thing that you would like to see a cha fundamental change in? Or is it just attitudinal? Uh, probably add attitudinal the most. Uh, just uh, you, you, you understand it well. Attitudinally, we just want people to. We would love to see not an end to politicians or government, but just a greatly restrained federal government, so that people could find their political bliss in cities and states. I know it's idealistic. Politicians exist to grow what they oversee, the power what they oversee. But that that's our ideal. We'd like to see a return to the, to the constitutional principles that the U.S. was founded on. If you're looking for more uh, interesting policies, uh, sure, it's never going to happen. But I would love to see the income tax and all those taxes replaced with just a basic consumption tax so that I don't have to prove my income to the government. And um, so that would be something uh -huh. I would love to get rid of antitrust laws. I, I would love to see what this economy could do if businesses could combine without all of these barriers put in their way. I think that'd be fascinating. I'm a stable dollar guy. I would love to see a return to something that protected mm -hmm. the value of my money. And and again, I'm happy if, if Amazon comes up with a dollar. And so there I want I want monetary freedom, as in if Amazon comes up with a dollar that beats what we have, then I'd like to earn Amazon dollars. But something like that, I think, would be very positive. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, I understand that. Let's talk about taxation for a minute. I think you think the federal government should shrink, you know, significantly in many, many, many areas, including foreign, you know, military areas. So 
What would be a level of taxation on, on your consumption tax basis, which I, I totally understand is, is, is not going to happen, but could happen or should happen? What would be your level of taxation that you think would be fair to both, you know, run a run a government, if you will, and you know, provide services like you know, clean water or air traffic controllers or whatever we need, and um, a tax rate. Could you imagine one, or do you have a thing, a number in your mind? Uh no. Fair to me would be that there would be a limit to how much anyone should pay. I mean, in my perfect, perfect world, which is never going to happen, I, I don't see why Jeff Bezos pays more than I do. Um, for one, if you look at what he's done for humanity versus me. Um, we should be paying him, right? Um, and so uh, th this we idea- We probably are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Every day, you know, it's called, it's called uh, you know, Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, this idea that they owe more, I find just insulting. And so, um, and so in my perfect world, there'd be a limit, but we're not going to get there. So I don't know. If I say 5% or 10%, I just think that I don't like the idea that you should have to prove your income to the government, that you have to cower before uh, what Congress outsources its tax collecting to the IRS. So I don't like that. I feel like you should have the right to say, you know what? I don't like Donald Trump or I don't like Joe Biden. I'm going to spend a year, two, three, four years away from this country so that they can't get any of my money. <laughs> and we just don't have any freedom of choice now. With, with an income tax, you're paying regardless. And I think that's unfortunate. That's really funny. Um, that, that, that's a really funny, I, I never thought of that idea. Uh, it's sort of like a, a hiatus if you if you felt like uh, moving abroad or something like that. Interesting. John, I think we can wrap this up. I think it was a lot today. And I thank you very, very much. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at OOTBwithJRusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, OOTBwithJRusso. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.